Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. Welcome to City of God. Today on the podcast, I have the pleasure of hosting Dean and Sarah. Dean is the founding and lead pastor of City Church in Tallahassee, Florida. He's the author of The Unsaved Christian. He's a Midwestern Seminary graduate and former alumnus of the year just a year or so ago. And he's a friend of mine. Dean, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Hey, it's great to be with you. I love Midwestern and I'm thankful for the conversations you're leading. Well, we appreciate you making the time in a busy season for you. And uh, look, I, I saw a tweet come across my timeline, uh, I don't know what it was, a month ago, five weeks ago, something like this, where you mentioned that a lot of the folks who had engaged the emergent church uh, 15 years ago or so seem to have ended up in not a great place spiritually. I think your technical term was la-la land, so uh, shout out to Ryan Gosling. And uh, I just wanted to follow up with you because I thought that was a great point. I think it is true, sadly, that a lot of people who, who tracked with the emergent church uh, sadly went off the rails theologically and spiritually. Is that what you have seen, Dean, at a pastoral level? Oh, absolutely. And when I say most, I'm not exaggerating. Most people I know personally, and I'm not, I'm not talking about some national you know, data study, I mean just personal relationships, uh, people especially in my hometown and other places that were involved in uh, the emergent church in its early days uh, now are either mainline Protestant and not the remnant healthy kind, uh, or are nowhere to be found when it comes to the faith altogether. I mean, it's almost like a, a science. I mean, they're nowhere to be found. I, I think that's true. I think that's a true observation in my count as well. What, what do you think um, uh, is the reason for that? What do you think it is in emergent theology that has led to this very tragic outcome? I think it was really, when I really want to dig into it and think about the books I read early on, because when it first started, I don't think we really knew, at, this. I mean, it's like out of the gates, we didn't really know that it was going to turn out to be this really just liberal theological option slash religion altogether. And it almost just sounded like it was more of a, hey, how do those who have been burned by the church before had a bad experience or want something different? You know, how does this, how is, you know, this presented in a way that will allow them to stay a part of the church, but just not basically have their grandparents' religion, to use that kind of old phrase. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how maybe they first thought about it, those who were getting on board with it. But the ones teaching it, little did we know, were really preaching a different gospel altogether. Uh, so I think what has happened is when you're a part of a, a movement, a new idea, whatever you want to call it, that doesn't first ground itself in the authority of Scripture, eventually you're going to have nothing to stand on altogether. Because we never really heard from those guys about biblical conviction. Mm. It was more just about authenticity and, and, and culture, and it was never actually about the gospel and the Bible. Mm. I'm not trying to oversimplify. We never really heard those guys talking about that. It was more about your personal story and your—it was that kind of conversation, and we never really knew what they believed. Yeah, Remember that about the emergent church? We never really knew what they believed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we were told it was a new way to be Christian. It turns out for yeah. many, it was a new way to be liberal Protestant. Um, That's a great way to put it. That, that, that'll, that'll tweet right there. We say that'll preach. That'll tweet. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it gives me no, no true joy, as I know it doesn't you, you know, to yeah, try and make these, these kind of observations. But it's, this is real stuff, man. I mean, Tony Jones, Brian McLaren, uh, many other names. We could talk about Rob Bell. Yeah, these, Rob Bell. I mean, 
Yeah. yeah. How many Orthodox, how many Orthodox churches, and by that I mean in belief, were watching the NUMA videos and their college ministries and youth ministries mm-hmm. and, and thinking this was kind of some new, fresh, exciting, you know, idea or new speaker and having no idea this person uh, was about to write the book Love Wins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, what what strikes me in retrospect, this is this conversation is kind of a informal retrospective on the emergent church at the anecdotal and observational level. What strikes me is that this was what was fresh again 15 years ago, 12 years ago, even 10 years ago, but it did not sink deep roots and that has had a major effect on the generation uh, that consumed this kind of material that thought emergent was great. Many pastors and many churches thought that that uh, material like the NUMA videos, for example, is what they needed to keep the next generation. But what has, again, tragically ended up playing out is that that's actually what I think ended up driving out many of the rising generation from the church. Do you agree? I absolutely agree, because it didn't offer any real substantial change. It almost basically, again, I'm not trying to oversimplify it. Sometimes we got to use simple terms. It basically just tried to make it cooler. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or less threatening. And eventually you realize you don't really need religion to be cool or non-threatening. You can just go off to self. It really prioritize self-spiritualization, but never actually define what that looks like. So we'd read these books by a Donald Miller, people like that, and go, wow, mm-hmm. that was a really interesting read. What was it about? I'm not really sure. <laughs> you know, yes. That was a common conversation. I mean, imagine reading a, a Packer book or a Sproul book or, or reading Henry and then being asked, what was it about? And not having an answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's mind blowing. Uh, but again, it drew people in because it was so, to use their words, authentic, non-threatening, uh, new, and, and people were sadly, were hook, line, and sinker for that kind of stuff. It's just odd to me, and Dean, I know you see this as pastor of a large church, a very vibrant church in Tallahassee. Uh, It strikes me how, over and over again, the supposed antidote for the church's health, uh, in other words, that which is going to keep the church going, that which is going to keep the youth in the church, is actually the complete opposite. There's such a deep irony. That which is supposed to keep the kids okay is that which ends up, at least to some degree, driving them out of the congregation. I, I, we see this play out over and over again. We see it at the high levels of theology and the academy. We've got to adapt the faith to modernity, you know, to keep the product fresh. But you also see it at the church level where uh, if we don't have new and exciting entertainment to offer the kids, they're not going to stick around. The problem is they don't end up sticking around with that kind of product. Yeah, when are we going to learn? I mean, that really is the fair question. Like, when are we? When are we finally going to learn that the same messaging, just packaged differently, and that keeps coming right back at us, is not working? And the ironic thing is, it's those that that love the whole pragmatic approach <laughs> are, are the ones that that are still continuing to champion this, and it's just not working at all. And, and I'm and I'm really heartbroken over it because we see the casualties of it. We see an unchurched generation that thought if we only made this cooler, this deeper, and by deeper, they mean more contemplative than actually like substance, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, then we're going to get a chance to to reach them when, when actually they walk out the door. Because why would I spend my time and my energy going to these events or reading these things or listening to these teachers that I don't actually need in order to feel good about myself? I can find something else, right? I, and so as a result, they've turned their back on it altogether. But these friends that I have, I mean, I don't even know if they believe anymore. You know what it is? And this is how, how I like to word it. Uh, they they have the intellectual 
uh, conclusions and convictions of atheism, but they want the feels of religion That's well that, theism, that theism provides. That's what I've seen from people I know who were in that movement early on and now are either like, I mean, barely mainline Protestant, like, I mean, barely can call themselves a church or they're nowhere to be found altogether, but still will post like spiritual things on Facebook and those type of things every now and then. Mm-hmm. And it's the intellectual commitments and conclusions of atheism while wanting the the positive aspects and I guess good feelings of religion. That's totally what it is. Yeah, it strikes me that liberal Protestantism uh, works for a time. It works for a time. It keeps people uh, in the seats for a time, maybe even draws some folks because there is a sort of freshness to it, especially if you're from a conservative or a fundamentalist background, something like this. This, this new wave, this new way to be Christian, whatever you want to call it, it, it has an initial appeal. And again, maybe even some sort of evangelistic, in air quotes, effect. But then long term, it turns out that a lot of people haven't actually shown up to the movement or haven't stayed in the church, so to speak, because they really want to live a life of carrying their cross and getting up on Sunday mornings and serving an actual local body of people, uh, supporting missions work around the world, whatever shape that takes. It turns out that they were getting that kind of feel, I think, in a lot of uh, cases, but now it's burned off. So liberal Protestantism works for a time. There is, at least in some cases, a a period where people buy it and where, you know, journalists will show up and write stories about it and there'll be a movement identified. But then, sadly, it burns off, which is very different, Dean, from from the way it works with traditional churches, which don't perhaps always have that same kind of spike, but do tend at least uh, to keep people there because those people are anchored in the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you think that's, do you think that's accurate? Oh, definitely. You, you tweeted di- different subject matter, but I think it relates to it. You tweeted uh, that uh, talent wins the sprint, but character wins the marathon. And I think in the same way, it building our entire identity and our entire convictions upon the rock of God's Word and of Christ that's what withstands, not building on the sand. Mm-hmm. So I would point what happened in the emergent church and why now we could basically have a funeral service for it, uh, is that it built an entire uh, church for, uh, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, or institution or structure on sand. It really is a sand-built structure, and, we've seen, and it's undeniable because we've seen the fruit of it, which is, one, a church that barely exists anymore. A lot of their founders, especially, when your founders have basically abandoned the faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what do we have to say? How, how do we answer that outside of the fact that this was never really a true faith to begin with altogether? And when I tweeted that, I wasn't even trying to be like mean or harsh. It was a true observation I had. Yeah. Just thinking about my friends that where they've gone, where they've ended up, and a few of my friends that saw the light and got out and now the complete opposite and will denounce it in two seconds. If you ask them, I had all Tony Jones uh, replied to me, was pretty angry, like cussed at me, et cetera. And all of his kind of people started, just like Twitter works, the mob started coming at me, Mm -hmm. but all of their answers had nothing to do with substance or truth. It was all in how much the emergent church helped them keep their faith. But what they mean by that is a faith that accommodates their beliefs and their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. They're not talking about the faith that was delivered once and all to the saints. 
They're talking about a God that they can accept, a gospel that is uh, that appeases their worldview and how things should be. And and I'm, we just can't be afraid to call that what it is. Yeah, okay, help to find faith. Well, what does that mean? What is the faith? Let's define these things. And I think the lack of definitions that they presented us with the results of it now are a generic faith and a generic God and a generic spirituality that has no need for the gospel whatsoever in their own eyes. That's very well said. It's all anchored in an understanding of Scripture and the Bible most directly that sees it as like any other book, basically. So the Bible needs to be authentic, just like we need to be authentic. So the Bible has errors in it. The Bible is not this timeless book that descended from the clouds, the very angels you know, winging it to earth or something like this. The Bible is a man's document. It's messy. Uh, God, according to the emergent church, is not this vindictive warrior judge of the Old Testament. Uh, as Rob Bell most famously emphasized, God is basically only a God of love. The mission of the church is not to get individual souls saved and then zapped up to heaven in this invisible elevator. The mission of the church is to make the world basically a better place, a more hospitable place. Uh, there, there's not any real challenge that the emergent church, this is not what it was focusing on 15 years ago or so, but there's not really any major church that, there's not really any major challenge that the emergent church, excuse me, is going to offer biblical uh, uh, sexual ethics, at least initially. This was an attempt to be essentially cultural, right, back in the day, and, and show that Christianity isn't that kind of Christianity necessarily, fundamentalist in its sexual ethics, its understanding of gender. That really changed over the years, I think, Dean, where your average emergent church teacher realized they needed really to make a very hard course correction. What troubles me the most about all of this, though, Dean, is not so much how the emergent church pitched itself to avowedly liberal Christianity but how marketers and publishing houses and documentary filmmakers and others pitched this to evangelicals. That's what most concerns me when I think about this. In other words, if you're uh, Pete Enns and you're writing a book about the Bible, you don't come out and deny inerrancy and biblical authority. At least you don't do so in a non-clever form. But what you do do is you talk about a new way to read the Bible. That keeps your audience big because you're still going to get liberal Protestants, but you're also going to get that evangelical audience, especially younger types, who may be, frankly, a little bit bored with their parents' Christianity, and they're thinking, oh, this is a fresh way to read the Bible. It's actually not a fresh way to read the Bible. It's an old and untrusting way to read the Bible. You think that's accurate? Oh, I think that's completely accurate. And the sadness is that the discernment level of many people in our pews and our chairs across the country uh, still is at that same discernment level from 15 years ago where people bought hook, line and sinker into Blue Like Jazz and into uh, Rob Bell, who in Velvet Elvis, one of his claims he made about, hey, let's just all get along, basically, was let's say tomorrow we found out that Jesus wasn't really born of a virgin. Mm-hmm. Would it really matter that much? Come on, let's not get caught up in doctrine. We're like, would it really not matter that much? <laughs> what? <laughs> Can we? Do you have five hours to work through this? You know, exactly. or even well, within five minutes, we can tell you how that's a radical view. Uh, maybe in five seconds. But so, but that same people today are running to buy books like "Girl, Just Wash Your Face." Mm. 
in which the complete focus on you and the emergent church really did. They tried to use words like community and but really it was it was kind of the the original Christian you do you mm-hmm. kind of approach to life. It was sort of that your own personal spirituality and contemplative kind of thinking about spiritual things, again, without definition, uh, was what was elevated. So then the publishers, evangelical trusted publishers, start putting out their books as if this is normal Christianity with just a younger, cooler, you know, modern day twist to it. And I worry that we still have people that are falling for those kind of things today. I see books being recommended and shared around and uh, it just really, it, it just really puts a burden on me for the need to continue to be churches that are unafraid to preach doctrine, good theology lifted up for why it matters with real definition and real terms and real explanation because we believe the Bible that much. We just have to realize how easily people are led astray. I'm telling you, I brought this up earlier, but like Orthodox solid churches were regularly playing NUMA videos. You know, we we had uh, a small group at our church when we first started uh, that that played the NUMA videos. And I didn't even know what they were. I had no idea. And I'm sitting down watching them and I'm going, wait a second, what the heck is he talking about? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I think that we have just seen the results of people who have been discipled in other ways by actually rigorously studying the Bible. And that's the result of that. And the ones that are the remnants of it who survived it and are, are the refugees of the emergent movement are people that read their Bibles. And we look back throughout church history, who were those that fled the, who fled at times of teaching that was contrary to the scriptures, those who actually read the Bible for themselves, mm-hmm. not those who just listened to a teacher and took what they said for granted. It's almost like the rock star, even though they were anti-establishment, they, were, they had these rock star celebrity in their world type teachers and pastors, whatever they called them, uh, that really uh, were forming their opinions for them more than the scriptures. That's undeniable. People will argue that all day long and I'll fight it right back. That's undeniable. Yeah, I agree with you. I think those are really important points. And it is fascinating now to see how things have evolved from being an avowedly religious teacher, a kind of uh, mystic guide. That was the emergent thing, this sort of spiritual guru. Now, the way to have a hot brand and draw a following, and by the way, make a lot of bank, frankly, is to become a life coach or some sort of uh, wellness teacher or uh promote mindfulness. These, these sorts of figures are the, the new version of the emergent guru, I would argue. And that's where the girl wash your face thing comes in to, to mention just one figure. I read a piece recently about Brene Brown. I think I'm saying that name rightly. I hope so. In Texas Monthly, who is this kind of life coach uh, who has a spiritual element, but not in any kind of sharply defined way doctrinally. And uh, this woman has become a major figure. Oprah turns to her regularly. And Dean, my, again, it's one thing to talk about the effect of such teaching on unbelievers. That's a, that's a big deal. Uh, the church has to, has to speak up on these issues, has to engage culture evangelistically, absolutely. But it's also, I'm sure, the case that if we knew how many professing evangelicals and evangelical women in this particular case were reading these kind of voices, uh, we would not sleep well at night. Oh, definitely. And we have to speak to it. We have to speak to it. And it's not going to be popular because there's emotional attachment uh, to a lot of these people who are having influence, as they call them, influencers. Uh, so what your own story was to the emergent movement, you know, that kind of authenticity, your, your own story, your personal happiness is mm. to what we're seeing happen right now. I call it pop Christianity. 
uh, where your just personal happiness and satisfaction in the moment uh, is taught to be God's will for you, God's plan for you. God just wants me to be happy. Uh, so the old famous midlife crisis that many went through, now we're seeing happen as more of a quarter life crisis, uh, where the where the mundane and the routine, those things of life where faithfulness is really built, are frowned upon. And are seen as settling. That's like the big sin in this new uh, world we're seeing is the word settling, uh, because they would say that's not God's best for you. God's best for you is you know ease, it's fame, it's uh, whatever you desire coming true, it's your own personal feelings. And we're putting kind of Jesus language and out of context scripture kind of sprinkled on top of it, and it's given us this whole new me-centered gospel that's really troubling. And if you talk about it, they're conditioned to basically just say that you're a hater mm-hmm. where the emergent church would just say you're a fundamentalist you just you know are are just so rigid and you think you're the only one who's right uh the modern day pop christianity me-centered gospel would just say that again that you're a hater you're just too negative uh they don't you don't want people to be happy you know those type of things he's helped me so much this teacher mm-hmm. you know th- th- this point to results and pragmatism uh, where the emergent church again would just kind of disdain fundam- and call you a fundamentalist. Yeah, it's it's fascinating how much self-help and a therapeutic mindset really has triumphed. There's a book by that title uh decades ago actually, Triumph of the Therapeutic, but really I think that is very nearly the story of the age uh as things have played out culturally in America and in the West. The dominant framework of your average person today is is not at least solely religious and spiritual slash moral. It is probably, very likely, therapeutic and psychological, and thus the answer to that particular uh, mindset and way of is a psychological and therapeutic and self-help answer. So many people, even if they're in a church, even if they're a church member, even if they're a professing Christian, even if everything looks good as you engage them, if you actually uh, looked into their worldview and their mind, you would see that they're approaching Christianity not from a theological, spiritual, moral standpoint, the traditional kind of view, but they're approaching it from a therapeutic view. So they see God as giving them the affirmation they have always lacked. There's an element of this that, that we can parse out that biblical Christianity, of course, does offer us the love of the Father in Jesus Christ applied to us by the Spirit is, man, that's, that's the whole enchilada. And yet, that is not the gospel that is preached to us by uh, therapeutic self-help practitioners. They are saying something different. They are not talking about love mediated through atonement and resurrection. They are talking about God being the great big affirmer in the sky. Oh, yeah, that he's writing your story, you know, and by that, they don't mean your plan of sanctification, of becoming more like Christ. You know, mm-hmm. Romans 8, 29, those who formerly predestined to be conformed to Christ. It basically means you achieving your dreams. And what's sad for me with these folks that have bought into this is I believe they're really missing the abundant life that Jesus promised. Mm-hmm. Where he actually told us he wants it to have life and have it more abundantly. But that doesn't come through self-discovery. It comes through self-denial. And that's not Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh walking around miserable all the time. No, it's exalting Christ and following him, you know, in his story. And I think that they're just missing out on that. They don't even realize they are because they've been so conditioned because they've seen it. I'm putting air quotes up. They've seen it work 
mm-hmm. in terms of draw a big crowd or uh, make them feel better that they think this is it. And I, I have friends that pastor churches in some of these towns where these like kind of big self-help um, prosperity light kind of churches are. And they see they they call them refugees from those churches. They're seeing those folks eventually come over to their churches because they're because they've had all the experience and all the emotion. Mm-hmm. They haven't had a lot of truth. And when and that that's how these things can. Oh, I do believe this new movement, the, the distant relative, is the original prosperity gospel. Not even too distant relative, but where they can trace some roots back to the emergent church is that personal experience. They love that word experience is elevated. Like, like that is the key, that personal experience connection. And that requires a lot to do that. I remember Emergent Church had to have a lot of mood, like candles and living room settings and those type of things. And now the pop kind of self-help Christian church has to have this very extremely professional over-the-top production mm-hmm. in, order, in order for that experience to be legitimate. And what I always say is, man, how would this work if you moved to a third world country tomorrow? Like, how would this work under persecution? You know, how would this work in prison for your faith? And they don't have a real answer for that. And, and I think it's sad because it's it's keeping people from really experiencing the actual true blessing of God, which is God himself, and he's enough. Yeah, and have fun being a pastor with that kind of approach. You, you just have to rev it up week after week. You're not so much Every doing week. it necessarily in the arena rock kind of mentality, uh, or the sort of business executive type that was big in the 90s, uh, or the emergent church candles and smells approach of the 2000s. But you do need to have today, I think, be as if you are entering the set of a Netflix special on you know, living, living the optimized life. And uh, that's a tremendous pressure for those in ministry to have. If the word does not have the horsepower to keep people, people are not going to stay very long. The good news, though, um, Dean, as we round the corner toward home here, is there are Bible-loving, God-exalting, Christ-driven churches out there, and I fully believe yours is one of them. I know you're seeing lots of people in Tallahassee come to Christ, and lots of disciples grow in their faith. You don't have to name names or something like that, but what are you seeing with the younger generation in particular, the generation that we're told needs the extra cowbell uh, to stay in the church. What are you seeing in terms of people being one to a kind of simple biblical Christianity centered in the objective truth of Jesus Christ? Yeah, well, I see one of two extremes, or not even extremes, just kind of two approaches. One that goes hook, line, and sinker into the whole kind of Instagram pastor celebrity culture. Mm. Uh, it's very much a style to it. They all look the same, dress the same, think the same. You know, they just really, it's almost like a fashion. It's almost like it's its own subculture. Mm-hmm. And they just, and you don't, you don't really know what they believe. They would say that their theology is just like, oh, it's just love God and love people. It would sound so good on the surface, but again, there's no definition to that. They don't know what it means to love God and even why we should love people. Uh, but it's just kind of their belief. But what we're also seeing that's so encouraging is we're seeing our college students just love truth. And they see that stuff and they want to have a burden for their friends who are in it. But they also have a real almost angst. Like they almost get a righteous anger towards it because they know what they're preaching is not the actual true gospel. You know, they, they want to hear sermons about 
price substitutionary death. They, they want to hear about imputation. They want to hear about propitiation. They love it. I mean, the things they're reading, and we have college students who are reading Edwards. It's, true. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. And, and these are and these are not even people that want to go into like full-time church ministry. These are people who are nursing majors and business majors and finance majors mm. that just love the word and the things they're listening to. It's, it's really encouraging. There's tons of that going on. Uh, so we want to keep them encouraged in what they're doing in their faith. And they're not just sitting there in some kind of laboratory. They have lost friends. I mean, they want to bring their friends to Jesus. They're connected on campus. So we're seeing, you know, a high love for theology and a high love for mission, because guess what? Their gospel belief is fueling their mission. Mm. Uh, so uh, I'm just really encouraged what we're seeing with a lot of younger people. Again, there are those who are definitely being duped, sadly. And my prayer is that they'll be they'll come out of it. We had one college student uh, who came to us hook, line, and sinker into that kind of Instagram Christianity. And uh, now uh, he is, you know, fully uh, – a, a, a gospel-centered brother. He's sharing that the documentary, American Gospel, with everybody he knows. Love and uh, he's Love getting it. ready to head to a, a SBC seminary pretty soon. So we're helping him think through that. And just we're seeing those kind of awesome things happen as well. Yeah, I, I will just quickly say before we close here, I see the same thing at our campus here in Kansas City. I see students who, they're from, they're from some tough stuff in some cases. They may have had divorce ravage their home. Uh, they may have grown up in a kind of soft Christian uh, bubble. They, they, may, uh, they may have seen the bitter fruits of prosperity theology that doesn't actually lead to prosperity. In these and different instances, we're seeing students who don't want you to sugarcoat things, frankly. They don't want you to soften the Word of God. They want, they want the, the fiber of the Bible. They, they want you to nail them to the mast because they have experienced what it is to be adrift at sea without any ship in the storm, and they want you to bind them to the Word of God so that they will be secure and safe and they will get all the way to glory. Most, most fundamentally, they love God. They want to know God more. They recognize that the world and its promises don't, uh, don't ring up uh, true. And so all this to say, I don't want to paint a generation monolithically, but the one weird good byproduct of the kind of emergent church fallout and this more developing self-help therapeutic Instagram pastor culture is that a lot of people do end up seeing in God's goodness that it doesn't feed the soul. It doesn't save the individual, and it doesn't um, satisfy your appetite for truth. Yep. And experience is ultimately not what you need. You know, a, a actual, the risen Christ and his gospel is what you really need. Amen. And eventually the experience wears out. Cause what, is, what does that experience, and I'm going to use air quotes, what does that look like three years from now, five years from now? Like that has to always be changing to keep people engaged when the scriptures themselves engage. And we, you know, we use technology and, you know, we have good stage lighting and all those kind of things. Mm -hmm. We in no way, shape or form think we have to have those things in order for us to be a church that appeals to people because we believe the message is what appeals to people. So we're careful about what kind of songs we sing, what churches they come from. We don't want to expose our folks to those uh, kind of churches where before long they're listening on the podcast and they're, why mess with that? Why even stick a toe in that water? Uh, because it is a, I'm not trying to say that these, some of these, that these folks aren't our brothers and sisters, but I do believe there's a discipleship crisis coming because we have not seen the end result yet. It's still first generation of this new pop Christian church. So we haven't even seen the results yet of what's going to happen. You know, when these people who are 25 and are told that God wants them to, you know, 
dream God-sized dreams, you know, and go write their story, what's going to happen when they're 50 and work a, a mundane job and have, you know, two kids and, and a husband or just and, and just live in a normal American everyday life? They're going to have a faith crisis and think they settled somewhere. Yes. And I'm really worried. I'm really worried about it. That's a good word, man. And I would encourage listeners to pick up Dean's book, The Unsaved Christian. If you haven't, it's had a, a ton of good buzz uh, since it came out. And I've heard from numerous students here how helpful it was and even how it describes that experience of cultural Christianity, but then offers what we have been talking about here, the genuine article, biblical Christianity, an inerrant, authoritative, sufficient Bible uh, with a blazing, salvific gospel at the center. So uh, thankful for your work there, Dean, and I uh, really appreciate you coming on uh, today on the podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. And let's uh, keep pointing people to the better way, which is uh, the gospel's way. God's way through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Amen, my friend. Thanks for being on, man. Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man.